85% of new entries into the workforce are women, people of color, and millennials. So think about this. Literally overnight, this shift is going to happen very, very rapidly. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. All right, so good news, I'm not the speaker today. Uh, so we're going to have Bart over here from LeaderCast introduce the speaker and tell all about it. Uh, we're just stoked that you're here. Uh, Terminus, just so you all know, uh, we are this floor and one floor above third. Um, you guys are welcome to just look at the facility and stuff. We are a software company here based in Atlanta. Fun fact, last, I think as of last week, we are the eighth fastest company in the software category on Inc. 5000. So we have been like really, really fun and exciting uh, to be part of it. And so we're happy to chat about all about it. So Bart, please come on and welcome the, the key speaker today. Awesome. Well, again, good morning, everyone. I think it's on. Yeah, we're good. There it is. He told me it was going to take a while to turn on. So here it is. Uh, we're super excited to have you all on behalf of LeaderCast. Just thank you for joining us. This is our Evolve session, and for us, Evolve is a year-long uh, education program that we take on as the employees of LeaderCast. Our wonderful leadership team goes out and finds speakers that come into our office to train us and to help us be better leaders, better teammates, and just better professionals. So we spend all this time trying to tell everyone else how to be great leaders and great coworkers that we oftentimes forget that we also have to you know, take that advice. Uh, so this is a great way for us to bring it to the community. So we're super excited and super blessed that Terminus has invited us here today. Um, if you don't know, Sangram has spoken to us before and he will be speaking on our LeaderCast live stage next May. So if you can't get enough of him speaking and his wonderful wisdom, uh, come out on May 5th. That's what we said. Yes, May 5th next year. Sorry, that's 2020. We have LeaderCast Women coming up October 18. That's a Friday up at the Cobb Performing Arts Center. I think that really is speaks to the the mission that Jeffrey has is to try to promote women and show that women in business are you know no in no way shape or form anywhere that they need to be on a notoriety and visibility level and that's something that I think here at Leadercast we see the need to promote them as much as possible and that's the point here of the talk this morning is to try to get you to understand that it's not just about, oh, you know, give a woman a raise or give a woman a, a promotion. I think that's like check boxes that we all go through, but it's about trying to support and encourage them throughout the entire process through their career cycle. Um, I think that we, especially me as a, you know, a handsome young white man, um, you know, I often forget that. <laughs> thank you. I think I often forget that there are a lot of people in the workplace who don't look like me and aren't like me and don't have the same experiences and viewpoints as I do. And, you know, they're not something that we can just dismiss. We need to talk about them. We need to acknowledge them and discuss them together. So again, that's the point of today's discussion is to figure out how can we together figure out how to advance, not just women, but everyone in the workplace so that all businesses can be successful. The title is Accelerating Women, the Next Great Dis disruptive business strategy. And I love that because I think Terminus is a disruptive company. They are trying to literally flip your funnel, that the idea is to think differently about business. And LeaderCast tries to push the same envelope when it comes to leadership development. We're trying to get you to think differently. It's not just how to, you know, drive results. It's how do you make a better workplace? So all of that together is where women can be very helpful and can champion the cause to make working in the 21st century a great place and a great experience. So we're super excited for Jeffrey to be here today. A little bit about him. He actually has a really, uh, I was going through his introduction and his resume and it's really interesting because, you know, he's a gender strategist, which means he helps companies figure out how to increase gender equity in the workplace. But he is a TEDx speaker, which is a, like, I find that really weird whenever I meet someone who's a TEDx speaker, because I'm like, oh gosh, that's like super awesome, right? Just like a leader cast speaker, right? They're the most awesome people you're ever going to meet. But a two-time TEDx speaker, author of the book, Why Women, 
and the founder of the company Why Women, which again speaks to the need for women's advancement in the workplace. He's a contributing writer to Huffington Post, New York Daily News, Working Mother, and Catalyst Magazine. His clients include just about every large company you've probably heard of, um, IBM, Barclays, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Mercedes-Benz, Bacardi, and a whole other list of Fortune 500. So he is a incredibly uh, insightful person on this topic. So again, we're super excited to have today Jeffrey Tobias Halter from YWMN to talk about the next great disruptive business strategy. So thank you. Great, thank you. Thanks, Bart. <clears throat> great, thank you. Well, it is my absolute uh, pleasure to be here. And I want to thank LeaderCast for having me out. I want to thank Terminus for hosting us. And I want to talk on this topic of accelerating women, the next great disruptive business strategy. I'm going to talk in terms of business and what's going on in business and why is this such a hot topic today? Well, let me tell you, this is not new news. This topic is actually how I got started doing this work in 2004. I watched a webinar by Tom Peters who talked about women as a disruptive business strategy. Think about that. That was 15 years ago. What's changed? Well, if you read the news, not a lot, quite frankly. Women's leadership has stalled. We haven't seen a lot of change in the last 15 years. The number of women CEOs has remained relatively unchanged. Uh, we have not seen women moving up the way we thought we would. In fact, I know you've probably heard comments. It will be 100 years before women will get pay equity in this country. I heard a quote, we will colonize Mars before there are 50% of women as CEOs in America, not even globally, just in America. What I'm here to share with you though, is like most things, it's based on past data. And we have never really been good about predicting the future based on bad data. I, I'm a boomer. I was raised in the 60s. Where's my flying car? I was promised flying cars. I still have not gotten that. Just like this, we are living in exponential times and smart companies and smart businesses are figuring out how they're going to manage this leap. And so what I want to do is spend a few minutes talking to you about a concept called women beyond the tipping point. And I want to connect dots on what's going on today and bring you a message of hope that literally in the next 15 years, we are going to see an exponential leap for women and smart companies will embrace this trend or they're going to end up being the next Sears or the next Blockbuster. I mean, think about that. I know we, we've got some millennials in the room, this, this company called Blockbuster. They were the Netflix of their day, and they didn't figure it out. How are smart companies actually going to figure out what to do with this topic called women? And I'm going to give you uh, the, the consultant word of the day, intersectionality. And what that means is I'm going to talk to you primarily about women but we can't talk about advancing women without other dimensions of diversity. So race, sexual orientation. The strategies I'm gonna talk about are the same, but it's this mix that really serves as a catalyst. And I'm gonna talk about engaging men. This seems to be a forgotten part of the conversation. What do men have to do with this? Well, I have belief Today, men are about 85% of senior leadership in most companies. I believe men are 85% of the problem and 85% of the solution. Women have been talking about advancing women for a long time. The key is male engagement. And so as you sit here today, this message isn't just for you. It's for you to take back and engage others in your organization 
about moving to advocacy. And we're going to talk about this concept of advocacy versus just being an ally. But let's talk for a minute about why this tipping point is coming. I mean, you really just have to think back in the last two or three years. Think about it. We saw a million women march in Washington demanding equity on the member of fronts. What you might not know is there are also things going on governmentally. New York and Boston and California and now other states have passed legislation saying you can't ask the prior salary history of a woman. This is working to resolve the pay gap. California recently passed a law saying by 2022, you have to have at least three women on your board of directors if you're a publicly traded company. Now the fine is only $600,000, which sounds like a lot of money to us as, as people, but to companies, this is a rounding error. Where you're gonna be judged though is in social media when you show up on the list as the company that doesn't have any. And then women's voices are gathering. About six months ago, eight months ago, women walked out at Google, one of the largest companies, if not the largest company in the world, demanding pay equity, pay transparency, and a seat on the board of directors. And then we look at the last election cycle and see that we have a record number of women in political office today. We are living in exponential times. Let me tell you what you might not be seeing. Uh, last year, I was on the road about 30 weeks, and most of the time I went and talked to women's groups. Men just don't invite me in, even though my entire message is about male engagement. But let me tell you what you might not see. Women are gathering. In Texas, the w Texas Women's Conference, 8,000 women gathering, demanding their voices be heard. The Massachusetts Conference for Women, 12,000 women gathering. I've talked to groups as small as 75 at the Women in Titanium. Who knew there was a group called Women in Titanium? Yes, there are 75 very dedicated women in the titanium industry. And I've talked to bakers and I've talked to financial groups. Women are gathering, standing next to them are supportive men who wanna help drive change. My favorite event was the Mary Kay national sales meeting. Think about this, 25,000 Mary Kay women in the Dallas Coliseum. Can you imagine the kinetic, frenetic energy in this room? And oh, by the way, every one of these women had to earn their way and pay their expenses to come to their national sales meeting. Think about that. What would you do if your boss called and said, oh yeah, we're having a big national sales meeting. Uh, you need to hit a, a, hit a sales goal and you're going to pay your own expenses. And so women's voices are gathering and standing next to them are supportive men who are wanting to help drive change. So this is what's going on. So we're going to talk, I'm going to set context for about 20 minutes. I'm going to give you facts and data because men love facts and data. And that's how you're going to go back and convince men to get engaged in this activity. And then we're gonna give you some action planning. So let's go ahead and start out with changing the context of how we examine this. And it's a concept called the leadership imperative. Move the organization to a deeply internalized approach regarding gender differences. Now we, we could use other dimensions of diversity, a deeply internalized approach that says it's personal and it's heartfelt. And how do you think about it every day? Because if you go out and pull all your coworkers, I guarantee you 95% of them will say, oh, gender equity is a good thing. Problem is most of them aren't doing anything about it other than saying it's a really good thing. Executed with a sense of urgency. I'm gonna give you some numbers that as business people will frighten you about the pace of change that's coming up, this exponential thing. And then finally, to create competitive advantage. At the end of the day, I'm a business consultant who focuses on gender. Uh, and so I'm gonna limit my remarks to the business community. 
And I see a lot of you copying down notes furiously. All of these materials will be available to you through LeaderCat. So you don't have to take notes. Uh, in fact, we're taping this, and I'm sure you can download this through LeaderCast. So let's jump into this. This is a tool that you were emailed out yesterday, and I don't know if you had a chance to take it or not, but one of my goals is also to provide you tools to go back to your company to have better conversation. And so this is called the male advocacy profile for men or the gender advocate profile for women. And just show of hands, did anybody have a chance to take this assessment? Great. So the first 10 questions set the context of how do you think about gender equity? Most men and most women actually score pretty well in section one. Section two asks, what do you do about this? And so my question, just to show of hands again, I'm not going to ask for personal scores. Did anyone score higher in section two than in section one? Do you actually demonstrate more advocacy than think about? That's great. Two hands went up. That's awesome. You can come up here and give this talk. You, you, you've earned that right now. What's fascinating is even most women think about equity more so than actually practicing it. So this is a free tool. Go download it from my website. Go back, take the test and then start a conversation around gender. Because what's important is if you look at it, there's gonna be, be people who are unaware. Our goal is to move you one step from unaware to understanding, from ally to champion. Ultimately, we wanna move you to advocacy because that means you're living and doing the work every single day. So this is the first free tool that you're gonna go back and plan actions around. And then when you go back, here are the two specific groups as business people we want you to talk about. Mercer, the big HR consulting company, interviewed almost 600,000 employees of Fortune 500 companies. And when asked, what is the engagement level in your company's diversity and inclusion initiatives, middle managers and men came out at 39 and 38%. Now you could say, well, maybe that's a good number. Maybe that's a bad number. As a business person, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to convince women and people of color and members of other underrepresented groups that this is a good idea. You've got to convince men and you've got to convince middle managers, these, these overworked people who have too much work to do. And so how do, we, how do we build this into their day? Not as a one-off thing, not as a women's thing, not as a DNI thing, but as an ongoing business process. And then the other thing I'll tell you is as a business person, this is where you need to invest your time because you'll get the greatest return on investment. Because if we can grow this 10 points or 15 points, that's a huge return on what we're investing in. And oh, by the way, if you wanna know what best in class is, it's still only about 50%. But what that says is that's one out of two. So that's not a bad aspirational goal. So if you're gonna go back and do this work, don't go talk to other women in your organization. Go talk to men, go talk to middle managers, because that's where the big return is. And here's the biggest challenge. Companies talk about the business case. Again, conceptually, but they don't know how to operationalize it. I don't know what it looks like on a daily basis. And so this is where I'm going to give you some numbers. But at the end of the day, you've got to take these big numbers and convey it back to me as a middle manager. That's how you hold people accountable. And this accountability thing is the really big deal. Why? Because it's about making more money. Now, I have violated every rule of, of presentations by putting all these words up here, but that's because you're going to be getting a handout. But this information is so important. Leveraging women, leveraging diversity makes more money for companies. This is from a McKinsey report. And what it says is based on two measures of financial performance, profitability and value creation, companies that have more women 
in the top quartile of gender representation are 21% more likely to outperform on profitability and 27% more likely to outperform on superior value creation. Companies with more ethnic and cultural diversities are 33% more likely. It just makes business sense. This is how you get leaders to sit up and take notice. Uh, there's a great report you can download, McKenzie Women in the Workplace. It's 84 pages of facts and data that you can go back and talk to your company about. But what was fascinating about the most recent McKinsey report is for the first time they talked about a penalty existing for companies that don't do this well. Companies in the bottom quartile for gender and ethnic diversity were 29% less likely to achieve above average profitability. It just makes business sense. It just makes more money for companies. Oh, by the way, let me give you one more tipping point. Uh, BlackRock has recently said on behalf of its clients that if you don't demonstrate transparency on your board of directors, we're going to question whether we should invest in you or not. Think about that. The financial community is finally starting to hold itself accountable for board representation. This is a huge factor. Why is BlackRock doing it? Because it's a nice thing to do? Hell, it just makes business sense. So when you go back and talk to your leaders, don't go back and talk about women. I'd love to ask this question when I'm in front of senior leaders. What's keeping you up at night? You ever think about that? What's keeping your boss up at night? What's keeping your senior leaders up at night? When you ask them that question, if you're ever meeting with the senior leader and, and, you, and you just don't know what question to ask, ask that question and they'll talk for an hour. There's eight or nine things going on right now. One is it's really tough to grow volume. Not everyone is terminus. Not everyone's knocking it out of the park, right? I work with a lot of brick and mortar companies. They're lucky if they can drive three to 5% top line growth. And yet from an operating profit standpoint, I have to deliver double digit returns in the 10 to 12 range for my uh, share owners. So I gotta get more done with less, less people, less resources. And then the one that's really keeping them up at night is I'm scared to death of a public media fiasco. Think about that. Think about Starbucks. Think about Uber when things hit the front page. This is what's keeping them up at night. They don't wanna be dealing with this. Well, that's how you go back and talk to your leaders then about women, which are 80% of the solution. Here's some great fun facts. Women drive the US economy. You buy 83% of everything sold in B2C, groceries, houses. Men, do you think you had any say in that house you're living in? <laughs> no, if she's not happy, you're not buying that house. This influencing ability goes far beyond their purchasing power. Uh, cars, women buy or influence 70% of car purchases. Yet think about this, in 120 years, Detroit has never figured out what to do with a woman's purse. Because you put it on the passenger side seat and ladies, what happens when you come to a stop sign? This is a billion dollar opportunity. Some car maker will figure out. Healthcare, do-it-yourself home improvement projects are all driven by women. In fact, women buy more men's underwear than men do. Think about that one for a minute. Purchasing agents, this is the B2B part. 40% of purchasing agents today are women. So this could be defense, this could be uh, technology. There are more and more women sitting on the buying desk and men and women approach sales very differently. This is from a Harvard Business Review study. Men approach in a very transactional manner, women approach in a very relational manner. And so relations build money and margin. So that's the revenue piece, but you gotta figure out what that is for your company. And then talent. Here's the one fact you wanna to remember. Today, 10,000 boomers, largely old white men like myself, are leaving the workforce. 10,000 a day, every day, every year, for the next seven years until we're all gone. This trend started about three years ago. 
So we're going away. We're, we're, this is going to be your problem, right? And when I say your problem, this room, this slide is what the new workforce looks like. 85% of new entries into the workforce are women, people of color, and millennials. So think about this. Literally overnight, the shift is going to happen very, very rapidly. Let's talk about millennials, this notion of intersectionality just as one group. And this is the definition we use for millennials for this data. Everybody thinks millennials are kids. By 2020, they're going to be the largest percentage of the workforce. That's when their tipping point comes. By 2025, 75% of the workforce and 44% of millennials say, given a choice, they will leave their current employer. In the next two years, 66% want to move on in the next four. What this says is there, if you're not doing everything you can for your employees, they're going to leave you. I, I worked at Coca-Cola for 26 years. Today, my peer group would look at me and go, dude, can you not get a better job? And the truth is, you know what? There's active peer pressure to move on. 12% currently identify as transgender or gender non-conforming. As a leader, if you're not ready to have a transgender or gender non-conforming conversation, you need to get there really, really quick. What's going to happen? When the last boomers leave, there's going to be 52 million jobs to be filled, but there's only 29 million people in the pipeline. So there's 23 million jobs that need to be filled. Oh, by the way, we, we live and work in Atlanta. You know what? There's virtually no unemployment in this city. If you can walk, you can find a job. In fact, last week's Atlanta Business Chronicle said they are breaking ground on 100 new hotels in the greater Atlanta area in the next two years. This is going to be a red-hot market. And boy, if you don't treat your employees the way they want to be treated, they're going to say, see ya. So revenue and talent. And then we talk about engagement and innovation have to equal a locally relevant business case. You have to put this in your terms. That's the action plan. That's where you got to go back and figure out what it looks like for your company, because that's how we can hold people accountable. Because the last soundbite on the business case is 83% of leaders believe in the business case for diversity, but only 17% hold people accountable. Think about that. If, if it's not important to my boss or my paycheck, why should I care? When was the last time we did anything we weren't held accountable to? So that's why we got to get very real on this. Here's the last part. Here's where I'm going to close out on creating gender advocates. What does this look like? How do you find them? What are the barriers? Well, there's four barriers today, primarily among men, sometimes among women. But today, the things standing in the way of advocacy are empathy. I don't understand that men and women are, in fact, having different experiences. Number uh, The second one is apathy. I don't see what the big deal is. Why, why are we choosing to have this conversation? Accountability, I just talked about that. And then fear. A lot of men are scared today that I may say or do the wrong thing. And oh, by the way, I can have a pretty good career without ever dipping my toe into diversity and inclusion, women, people of color, race. That's not leadership. That's not why we're here. So how do you overcome these four big barriers? Very simple. Listen, learn, lead and have the will. To overcome empathy, this is very simple. It doesn't cost a dime. Take a woman to coffee and ask a simple question. Are you having a different experience than I am? And you know what? She's not going to say anything. She's going to want to pull the good company line. No, there's no issue. Ask again, what don't I understand? And she's going to start to open up don't interrupt her. Don't say, oh, you know, we got a policy on that or we got a program on that. Just shut up and listen. And then ask a third time. And in that last 10 minutes, you're going to hear root cause issues you never knew existed. I did this with a research group up in Boston. I was in a room of 60 women, PhDs in, in things I can't even begin to pronounce. And I said, hey, I'm having lunch with your senior leaders. Is there anything you'd like me to tell them? The room erupted for 40 minutes. I'm a senior scientist and my research is double checked more than men. My ideas are constantly talked over, ignored, 
I'm always expected to take notes. I'm always expected to clean the lab, even though I'm the senior person on the team, and on and on and on. Women are having a different experience. Here's a simple test you can do. Go and observe. How many times are women's voices talked over or are their ideas ignored? I guarantee you it will be 10 times in a week, if not more. So that's this listen part. Learn. That's the business case. Read, study, understand. Learn how to operationalize your business case. Lead, that's accountability. I often hear this question from senior leaders. I don't have any women ready for this new job. And you know what? I'm going to give you a pass once. But you know what leaders don't ask? What are you doing to get some ready? So I understand, Jim, you don't have any ready now. But when the next job comes open, or in the next four months, tell me what you're doing to get one ready. That's what leaders do. They ask tough questions. And finally, have the will. Have the will. Advocacy comes from a personal connection. I believe this work is 80% head and 20%. And the 80% is all the facts and data. That's how you go engage men. Advocacy lives in the heartbeats. What that looks like is it's very hard to be an advocate without a personal connection. And so the men I've found who are willing to do this work are either married to a, a working spouse, maybe they've got a sister, maybe they were raised by a working mom, or they have a daughter. Because believe it or not, men rarely make the connection that if I'm not advocating for women, I'm actually hurting my daughter's future. And to the women in the room, that sounds incredulous. It's like, really? And I'm like, yes. I worked in corporate America for almost 30 years. And when I got in my car, I put my blinders on and I worked. And I never made the connection that if I'm not advocating for women, I'm hurting my daughter's future. I have a son and I have a daughter. And I supported my daughter. I wanted to raise a strong girl, just like every man does. I supported her, whether it was soccer or music, made sure she went to a great college. And when my daughter graduates and makes 83 cents to my son, I choose to do nothing. I choose not to advocate because I've not made this connection. When Ron makes a, a sexist remark or tells an off-colored joke, I choose to laugh instead of calling Ron on his crown. The way we're going to drive exponential change for women is for men to realize their responsibility quite frankly, to get a bunch of pissed off fathers together and get them to do this work. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy for a leadership thing. I'm going to tell you it works. The best way to engage managers to say, would you want your daughter working for Ron? Would you want your daughter to work for this company? And this epiphany happens. And that's how you start to move them along that continuum. So, what do we want you to do? This is the action planning phase, and you can download this from LeaderCast. This is also available on my website. Uh, it's called the Advocating for Women Pledge. I also have a father of daughter pledge, but they're laid out very similarly. They're built on the principles of listen, learn, lead, have will. Seek to understand, mentor and sponsor, create a business case, set an example to correct bias, embrace workplace flexibility, the number one thing women want today is flexibility. Encourage qualified women to apply. This is a huge phenomenon. Women will not raise their hand until they have about eight of 10 criteria for a job. Men will raise their hand when we have three. You've got to tap women on the shoulder and say, you're ready, come on. Engage men and choose to be an advocate. So you can download this and just put this in your workplace to mark you as an advocate choosing to do this work. Got one other tool, you can use mine, you can create your own. One simple thing you can do is hold a staff meeting once a month to talk about gender or to talk about diversity and inclusion. I've got a newsletter that comes out, you can do your own. Invariably, USA Today about once a week has a gender equity topic. Read a white paper, assign it, come together for a lunch and learn and just talk. Just talk and analyze. Write three questions and discuss it at your next staff meeting. And so here's 12 months of solutions 
absolutely free for you to go and start to drive change in your organization. Because at the end of the day, it's not about big numbers or male engagements. It's about you taking action. And that's probably the most powerful part of this. Because as I work with groups, it's very easy for senior leaders to say, well, we've done our job. It's up to those people. And middle management says, oh, it's up to those people. And everybody points fingers. All you can control is what you control. So if it's pay equity or board seats, you know what? You might not get a voice in that. But if it's supporting women being heard in a staff meeting, you've got a lot to do with that. So figure out your role and figure out how you can best do this. And so with that, that kind of wraps up my prepared remarks. We wanted to leave enough time for questions and answers from the group. So thank you for your time. And we're going to open this up to Q&A. And we've got two mic handlers. And I was told this group is not shy. So uh, who's got the first question? Hello. Hi. I'm the VP of Employee Success for Terminus. And I actually have a question about preparing an organization for transgendered employees and gender nonconforming employees. Uh -huh. I think this is a struggle from organizations of our size where there's not someone to kind of lead this charge who speaks with authority on that. Yep. Just wanted to hear your thought, how you begin that conversation. Do you see it as usually an employee success driven, get everyone together, the gender identity wave is coming. Just want to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, you know, I think the best way to serve it up is kind of just a topic of the month as, you're, as you start to do these monthly staff meetings, right? I've done diversity and inclusion work for almost 20 years, and everyone is at a different place. Don't start with race. You know, most business organizations are not ready to have a deep conversation on race. Start with women. And, and let's do this monthly staff meeting, you know, four or five times around women. And then we can start to explore deeper dimensions of diversity. I, I actually think you've got two opportunities. You know, uh, June is Pride Month, but in Atlanta, we celebrate in October for some reason. So, so use that as an opportunity. The first one's going to be about LGBTQ. The next one's going to be about transgenderism. And there's so many great webinars and, and TED Talks you can download. And then just start a conversation. But, but I'm a big believer in, in organically. Yes, there should be a company policy. And this is another really interesting fact about how all this stuff connects. So we, we talk about intersectionality. So how many of you are familiar with the Human Rights Campaign Index? Okay, you might want to go research this. Companies can fill out a report that describes how LGBTQ friendly you are. And the goal is to get 100% on your index. And what's really important is you put this on your company website because straight millennial employees are looking at your HRC score. And if you're not at 100 as a straight millennial man, I'm questioning whether you really get the new workplace. And, and so I, I, it just, you know, it's organic. It's a conversation. And, and I think there are times to highlight it. And then as you become diversity mature, then we're going to start talking about race. Then we're going to talk about other forms of, of dimensions of diversity. But, you know, if, if you've never had these conversations, start with gender and, and then get really good at that. And then we can start to. And, and this whole listen element, again, back to the McKenzie report, there's a huge topic out there that women of color are facing three times the barriers that white women are. And most organizations will say, no, 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 we have a women's initiative. And yet most women of color do not feel part of that initiative. So once you've taken a coworker out to, to, to lunch, uh, lunch or, or coffee, if you haven't ever taken a person of color out for coffee, do it. Um, you, will, you will find out things that you were totally unaware of. There's a concept called covering. And literally every person of color covers when they walk in the building. I have to conform to the rules of the organization. And as you begin to explore this conversation, it's, it's just fascinating to, uh, to know what you don't know. So that's a long answer to, to how you really start this conversation. But thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks so much for your talk. Yeah. Jeff, I really enjoyed it. Um, my name is Annie Duguid. I'm a leadership facilitator and coach. 
Um, also a volunteer for TEDx Centennial Park Women, December 6th. Everybody please come. <laughs> um, sorry, I had to get the plug in. So I'm curious about your thoughts on employee resource groups. In my experience, I have seen employee resource groups be used, I think, for, for good. And I've also seen some probably be like box checking, quite yeah. frankly, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need D&I baked into yeah. our, our day-to-day operations because we have an ERG for that. So I'm curious what you think about employee resource groups. Does it play, or do they play an important role in advancing gender equality yep. as well as all types of equality? You know, where, where have you seen those work or maybe not work? Yeah, and it's tough to generalize what I'll tell you is because every company is different. And there are a number of, again, trends taking place around ERGs, or I'm going to call them business resource groups, which is, which is really kind of the, where a lot of companies are. So business groups are absolutely critical, important, but they can only move things so far. Most mature companies have them, but I want you to think about this. Most of them are made up of 100 to 1,000 very well-meaning volunteers, and most of them are underfunded. So, so think about this. Um, we're going to do, uh, but, but yet they're charged with driving the entire women's leadership agenda or the entire African-American agenda. Well, think about this. So I'm gonna, we're gonna do a big M&A project, about a billion dollars, we're acquiring another company. And so I'm gonna uh, come to you and uh, we're gonna get together a group of, of 15 really well-meaning volunteers. And we're gonna give you about $20,000 to go leverage this billion dollar opportunity. Are you kidding me? Would you be successful? The point is most BRGs are underfunded. Um, most companies, you know, maybe it's $100,000 max. There are companies out there like AT&T that allocate uh, almost $400 per employee. And AT&T has, I don't know, I don't even know how big they are these days. So, so number one, they're vital, they're critical, but they're asked to do too much. They're not a proxy for a formal DNI strategy committee. And then diversity mature companies like Accenture, this was really fascinating. So everybody looks at Accenture and Accenture did two things. Number one, they said, we're doing away with performance management because it doesn't work. Number two, we're doing away with employee resource groups. And everybody said, oh, see, we don't need these. And the point is, no, your performance management system is broken because you're only using it twice a year. Uh, And Accenture has gone to monthly feedback sessions, which is the way performance management was designed anyways. And Accenture is diversity mature enough where they've gone to inclusion councils. But, but somehow these next two waves never make the news. They've been at this for 30 years. They just appointed, you know, their, their female representation is 40% senior leadership. Um, they're training others. So every organization is different. Every organization is different. ERGs are critical. They're important but they can't do the heavy lifting for the organization. So, so that's kind of my point of view. We have two questions here. Morning. Thank you for your time. This is Yeah. Can you hold the mic a little closer? Oh, yes. Hello. My name's Blake, and I'm an empath entrepreneur, and I teach people to kind of slow it down in such a high digital pace. And my question is, when speaking to men about these issues, would you suggest to discuss it more effeminately or approach them more in a masculine manner? Yeah, you know, this is fascinating. The answer is both, but it also depends on the group. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people out today talking about healthy masculinity, or if you've seen the Gillette ad, toxic masculinity. I'm saying you're going to get a group to buy in because of that. As a business person, I have had my best success talking the business case and and making the business case because it also speaks to, I use the term covering. Well, believe it or not, almost 30% of men cover when they walk into the building. I can't be myself. I don't, you know, I've got a good job here, but I can't bring my whole self to work. Men also need this, these facts and data to, to overcome their own bias. So I, I, I would tell you there, there's an approach for both. Uh, I don't, I know a lot of men who are doing the healthy masculinity, the, uh, the toxic masculinity, the, uh, 
we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. That's the one that drives me crazy. No one does anything because it's the right thing to do. You know, diet and exercise are the right thing to do. And yet we have the worst obesity crisis in history. No one's going to do it because it's the right thing to do. I find every man has to come to this in their own way. And, and, I'll, and I'll speak to that for just a moment. Uh, when I go to work with clients and, and customers, I, I'm very keenly aware that, you know what, there's maybe 20% of men on that executive team that are ready to get it. And then there's another 50% that could get it. And then the rest, they're never going to get it. And, you know, what we spend our time doing is arguing with idiots and trying to train idiots. You know what? If you change your culture, the idiots will leave. And yet so many, you know, you look at sexual harassment as a great one. There are billions of dollars being spent on sexual harassment training, most of it ineffective. And it's focused on the 10% of people who are creating a hostile work environment that should just be fired anyways. But we don't do that. Let's stop dealing with idiots and let's find the men who want to get there and drive it well. And then the other thing is, you know, and I work with big companies. Um, I would not tell you, let's go out and train 100,000 people. Let's get a functional area. Maybe it's a field service organization. Maybe it's finance. And let's fix this top to bottom. And then let's start to cascade it out. Uh, and then that man or woman is the advocate for driving that change in the organization. So, so the answer is both, but this is just the work I do and, and, and how I've been most successful engaging men. So thank you. Hi, I'm Colleen Comerford. I'm with Cox Communications. Yeah. I uh, have a question. I've seen some men posting about white men being the minority now, posting facts and statistics how, you know, more men are killed in combat and military and just address, like, how do you yeah. address that, right? That there's, that they're just a perception where they're disenfranchised. Yeah, I, I think it speaks to disenfranchised, right? Because there's just more of us, uh, you know? And, and so on a, on a, on a, on a big number, the, the net change is going to be significantly more, the raw number, but the percent change could be small. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the war one off as a, as a business person, but I'll deal with the, the, the one you mentioned, men feeling disenfranchised. This is why companies need to demonstrate transparency in how they promote people. Because most people don't know why people got promotions. And men carry a bias that this is zero sum. So if I'm advocating for women, am I not hurting other men? So NAFI, the National Association of Female Executives, does a report. And even in companies with ultra-promote women's strategies, two out of three promotions still go to men. There is no factual proof men are being mistreated. And in fact, most companies, seven out of eight promotions still go to men. And that's where you need to go back and talk to your companies about demonstrating transparency. One of the ways I got started in this work um, goes back to, I don't know how many of you were around in, in Atlanta in 2000, uh, Coca-Cola had a $200 million discrimination lawsuit. That's how I started doing this work. And for five years, we had to publish our promotion numbers for men, women, and people of color. And I want to tell you, every year that report came out, men were angry, women were angry, and people of color were angry. No one is ever happy with the numbers. You can't make people happy. Because what it, what it looked like is men went down 2%, women went up, uh, women and people of color went up 15%, but the base was so small, the net number, men still got 4,000 promotions and we promoted 200 women. So you got to look at the facts and really drill into the facts. So, uh, so this, uh, this is hard work and, and transparency is really at the core of this. We could talk about gender pay equity. Does gender pay equity exist? That, that's another hour-long discussion that we can have over uh, mimosas after this session. So uh, I'm kind of getting the high sign to go over to Bart. So thank you for your time today. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.
again, thank you uh, to Jeffrey. That was a very insightful conversation, but I think as we all would agree, a very needed conversation in today's environment. It's not just about one side of the issue. It's about looking at it from a holistic perspective. Um, we're so thankful that you all joined us today. I hope that you learned something. Um, I do want to encourage you at LeaderCast, we have uh, blogs, podcasts, uh, video series, and we have uh, the webinars, which this will be turned into a webinar. You can uh, sign up for that and watch this again. This month of August has been all about the theme of challenge. And this is specifically an area of challenge, not just for you know me on a personal level or you on a personal level, but for all companies uh, on a business level and, and worldwide that we're struggling with on a daily basis. But we've also tackled other conversations about, you know, race, about, you know, just having a difficult conversation, the challenge of having to terminate an employee, you know, things like that. I think we forget are still the daily challenges of leadership. It's not how do we change the world and make, you know, gender equity the thing tomorrow. It's how do we have a tough conversation with an employee or how do we say, oh, this decision we made isn't working. So. I challenge you all to think on a daily basis, how do I take the courage to address the challenges in the workplace? Incidentally, that is our theme for LeaderCast Women in October, Take Courage. And it's all about trying to inspire you to be a courageous leader every day, because it's not just, hey, let's have a conversation once a month. It's an everyday thought process. So with that said, I want to invite up our courageous leader, our president and CDO, uh, Angela Robb, to close us out and give a nice little gift to Jeffrey. So again, thank you so much for joining us here at LeaderCast Evolve at Terminus. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.